your cake online. What's Baking Cake Nation? And welcome back to the Chemistry Cake Online Podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and today airs the third episode of our inorganic chemistry season. Last time, we got to chat with Dr. Mitch Anstey about making better molecules for better batteries. If you've not had the chance to listen to that episode, I 19 out of 10 recommend that you do because it was really such a great time. Today's sweet guest received his bachelor's degree in chemistry at Universidad Simón Bolívar Caracas, uh, Venezuela, received his doctorate in organometallic chemistry and catalysis at the University of St. Andrews, and is currently a senior scientist in the Laboratory for Chemical Technology at Ghent University in Belgium. He is also one of the primary conductors of the hype train, choo-choo, and a good friend of mine. So Cake Nation, would you help me in giving a fresh out the oven warm welcome to my dear sweet friend, Dr. Cesar Urbina Blanco. Cesar, thank you so much for, yeah, for joining me today. I'm so hyped to get to talk with you again. Hi, it's like, weird. So excited. How have you been? I am so, so happy to be finally in your show. Like, you should see my face. I'm smiling so much. Uh, thank you so much for this. I'm good. I'm yeah. very, very good. I'm, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Very, very excited. It, it certainly uh, has been too long since we last spoke. So very, 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 very lovely to have you on the show. Okay. So um, before we dive right into your science, I have to point something out kind of interesting and that is your favorite molecule which you said was ferrocene and the reason i find that interesting is because we previously had my friend cole carter on the show and his favorite molecule was ferrocene primarily because he works with it among other reasons um so i have to ask why ferrocene is your favorite molecule well um ferrocene was the first organometallic complex i got to synthesize in the lab and I just love that synthesis so much. You get these beautiful crystals. And it was like a whole experience working with um, nitrogen-sensitive uh, uh, chemistry and doing all this like inert atmosphere chemistry. And I was like, wow. That was really like the day I, 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 I made ferrocene was the day I said, like, I really want to be an organometallic chemist. So I, I, I stayed with that. And, and also because... Like ferrocene rotates, you know, the, the rings around the, the two uh, cyclopentadiene rings, they, they are constantly rotating. So it's a molecule that is always in constant movement. So for me, that's, that's pretty cool. I don't know. That, that's very cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting. I, and I saw that you mentioned that it did rotate. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder what he means by that. I mean, that, you know, that imagine that ferrocene is, is a sandwich, right? So you have yeah. iron in the middle, which is like your cheese, and then you have your stool slices of bread. Well, the slices of bread are rotating, so they're constantly moving. And you could see that if you had video, I'm moving my, uh, my hands, but you cannot see that. But yeah, imagine, <laughs> imagine your sandwich is rotating, like the top, like the top um, part of your sandwich is just you know, moving around while it, the is fixed. That's cool, right? I, yeah, I, I just think that's so, like, it's a very amusing thought to think about. Like, if you, I, I'm going to, I'm going to reference something from SpongeBob, right? So the Krabby Patty, I'm just imagining the Krabby Patty 
um, with like this very dramatic background and you have your like filling in the middle and it's stationary, but then you have your buns and they're rotating. Are they rotating in the same direction or are they rotating in opposite directions? Well, I mean, it, rotation is it's based on the on the reference point, right? So if you keep one fixed, one rotates. And um, depending on the substituents that you have, then you can have different types of rotations. You can rotate, for example, you can have a complete rotation. You can have a um, hinder rotation. Um, mm -hmm. If you have like a very bulky substituent on the ferrocene. So yeah, that's that. I find that pretty cool. That's so cool. So, so you have worked with ferrocene. Are you currently working with ferrocene? Um, yes and no. So, I I I have a project that I very much like that deals with actually looking at that rotation of ferrocene and trying to model it. Um, oh. But that's not my project. It's like a side project that has been in the side for like. Too long. I have to finish that at some point. Um, <laughs> but it, it is. I mean, I kind of sort of work with ferrocene. Okay. So, what science are you working on now? Then that isn't the side project. Um, so my main project is actually trying to convert CO two to useful chemicals, and I am part of um, two very big collaborative projects around Flanders, which is the region of Belgium where I live. And one of them is trying to look at the conversion of CO2 to methanol and the other one of CO2 to formic acid. And mm -hmm. I have um, a personal grant from the Belgian government, thank you, Belgium, uh, to look at the production of um, acrylic acid from CO2, from the synthetic coupling of CO2 with ethylene. So there's that's, a lot of CO2 going on at the moment. That's so cool. So... So this is very different from, I, I, I presume, your uh, doctorate work. It is, it is. So it was um, a big change. So I, I changed in stages. So I did, at my PhD, I, I actually looked at olefin metathesis and I was working with ruthenium and trying to do organometallic chemistry with homogeneous catalysts. Then I kind of thought, hmm, I want to learn something different. I want to look at heterogeneous catalyst, but from an organometallic perspective. So I did a little bit of work on immobilization of organometallic catalyst into a support. And I kind of went a little bit like all the way to the chemical engineering department. And now I'm looking at heterogeneous catalyst and trying to look at heterogeneous catalyst with a organometallic chemistry background. It's kind of special. There's not a lot of people doing that, but I like it because I managed to combine a lot of concepts that are foreign to chemical engineering, but are really useful. And for some reason, not a lot of people have thought of combining these things before. So I'm kind of, you know, struggling, but going there, happy in the middle. <laughs> we love that. I love that for you. Okay, so this is our inorganic chemistry um, season, and... I mean, folks that know me know that I love metal. So your mention of uh, iron and ruthenium, I'm like, my ears are perking up. So are, what other metals have you worked with? Um, actually, I'm very boring. I've worked mainly with ruthenium and iridium. I've worked with iridium. Um, I've done a little bit of work with palladium, but Ooh. 
continue because routine can do a lot of stuff. So mm -hmm. I did routine for hydrogenation. I did routine for olefin metathesis. Um, and then within hydrogenation, you can, of course, do a lot of different types of hydrogenations. You can hydrogenate olefins. You can hydrogenate carbonyl functionalities. You can, you know, go crazy. So I've basically stuck to ruthenium for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Ruthenium is very versatile. It is, it is. It's like a really amazing metal because it's a noble metal, but it's one of the cheap noble metals. So you can still afford it if you want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, like a, it's like a good one. Uh, I'm trying to, for the, for the CO2 work with um, acrylic acid, I'm trying to look at nickel and palladium. Ooh. There's a little bit of nickel chemistry there, which is also super cool. Uh, yeah. I, first and foremost, I don't think you're boring because iridium, I, I don't understand iridium. I wish I did, but uh, I, it's one of those metals that's like, I know you exist, but I don't know what you do. Um, I, like ruthenium is super cool. I know that uh, I learned about olefin metathesis once in in my organometallic chemistry class a couple years ago, and I was like, "How is this metal doing that?" I don't. I guess it's primarily because like I'm more. I am yeah. I'm more well versed with the first row D metals. Um, so like iron cobalt. Um, and it's not even like all the first row metals, it's just iron, cobalt, and maybe copper shrug. <laughs> um, so that's really cool. So, okay. So the stuff that you're working on now, very different from the stuff that you were working on in your doctorate. Tell me more about your doctorate research. So my doctorate research happened in St. Andrews in Scotland. I was very happy. I was a PhD student in the group of Professor Steve Nolan, who now happens to be in Belgium. So he's not so far away. He's also in Ghent University, right in the chemistry department. During mm -hmm. uh, PhD, I worked in a European project called UMET. And the goal of this project was to synthesize and commercialize new olefin metathesis catalysts in Europe. Because mm -hmm. at the time, the leading catalyst producer for olefin metathesis was Materia, the company by Grubbs, who no longer exists. Um, so Europe was looking at, we need to make catalysts in-house and we need to sell them and we need to be able to compete with the US. And basically this project was super successful because it was a collaboration between industry and academia. So we had Umicore as our industrial, as one of the industrial partners. And I'm happy to say that one of the catalysts that I developed in the lab and then I optimized the synthesis is now being sold by Umicore. That's super cool. That was like, I was super happy about that. And on top of that, there was there were a couple of companies involved in the project. One of them was Janssen Pharmaceutical. Janssen had, at the time, a drug against hepatitis C called Cimeprevir. And they one of the steps of the synthesis involved olefin metathesis, and they got FDA approval for one of the catalysts that I made in the lab for that drug. So that was super cool, too. Okay, hold on a second. Can we just pause real quick so that I can hype you up? That is so cool. What? <laughs> okay, first and foremost, first thing, first thing, the fact that one of the catalysts that you developed is being used commercially, that's a big deal. Secondly, the fact that 
one one of your catalysts was FDA approved to be used in the synthesis of a drug for hepatitis C is also very cool. Folks, at home, if you're not as hyped up as I am, like, you should, like, uh, I have, hmm. <laughs> it is also, like, eight in the morning where I am right now, and so if my hype is not as hyped, I do apologize, but very hyped right now. So hyped for you. That is so cool. Uh, so this catalyst, am I allowed to ask uh, what, like, vaguely components are in it, or is that proprietary? No, no, no. So the, the, the publication is out there. So, um, so basically, the problem that Janssen had was, um, so, so they, they, they had an olefin metathesis um, cyclization, so a ring-closing metathesis of a very, very big cycle. And when you have these kind of reactions, you tend to have also side products and you have polymerization because mm -hmm. it's, it's very difficult to make very large rings. And basically, they were trying to optimize the synthesis because, and this was pretty cool for me at the time, for, for us as a chemist in the lab, uh, a yield of, you know, 98 or 97%, it's pretty much the same. But when you're making, uh, you know, kilograms of compounds who are, who cost millions of, of, of dollars, then that 1%, even like 0.5%, 0.1% different in yield, it's a lot of money. So mm -hmm. them, optimization is a completely, completely different game than for us in the lab. So they were really trying to find um, the best suitable catalyst for this reaction. And in most cases, olefin metathesis is, is a reaction that is very much depending on the substrate. So, of course, you can have general trends, but for a specific substrate, you you sometimes need a very specific catalyst to, to get the best performance. And during this project, one of my tasks was to test basically all of the catalysts that were developed within the consortium under the same reaction conditions for the same set of reactions to be able to determine which one was the best catalyst for each transformation. And in, on top of that, uh, the people at um, Janssen, they tested our compounds in their synthesis. So it was really interesting to see how, for example, for the model substrates, some of the catalysts had the exact same performance, but when it comes to real life applications, the, the difference in yield were significant for them. When for us, I would say, well, these two catalysts achieve 100% conversion both within 15 minutes, so they are equally as good. And they would come and say like, no, 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 no. Look at this, we have, for, with this one, we have a yield of, imagine a number, 50.02%, and for the other one is 50.03. And when we ask, is that 03 important? They say, yes, sir, it is important. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, I, well, I guess for me, yield is a little bit more important only because I have such a small amount of product that I make and like a lot of it needs to go towards like analysis. It's more exploratory, but like it's not to the point where it's just like, ah, 0.03 is very important. Um, so that's, that's wild. That's so cool. So, and I, and I might've missed it. Does this catalyst have ruthenium in it? Yes, so these are all ruthenium-based olefin metathesis catalysts. So they are uh, 
in the nilidine type of complexes. So, you know, the normal Grubbs catalyst, the one everyone knows, has mm -hmm. a densilidine moiety. The ones that developed during my PhD have an indenilidine moiety. So instead of a benzene, densilidine is an indenilidine. And then um, we also change the, the ligands around the metal center. So uh, Grubbs two generation catalyst has cymes and tricyclohexylphosphine. And well, I change the phosphines. I use all sorts of different phosphines. I use uh, pyridine ligands. And then the NHC, I also change. I use bulkier NHCs, smaller NHCs, or electron donating NHCs, or electron withdrawing NHCs. So it was like, you know, every single uh, combination possible we tried because we were interested in really finding, um, well, creating, first of all, we were interested in creating a toolbox. We were interested in creating a, a large number of catalysts that could be employed depending on the application you were trying to, to, to use them for. So sometimes I, I feel that in the field of catalysis, sometimes we try to develop the best catalyst for a specific reaction, and we call it like, a let's say, the best olefin metathesis catalyst ever, but that's not really possible. What you can do is to develop sometimes a toolbox. So you develop a set of catalysts and depending on the type of metathesis transformation that you want to do, then you can select one or a different catalyst. And that's what we did. That's so wild. I see, I, I respect folks that do catalysis. I don't understand catalysis. I also, it just, it's so wild to me how influential the ligands are on the catalyst's behavior or like like and not not necessarily just with electronic properties but also just sheer bulk is just i wow so that's so cool okay so now i'm interested tell me more about your carbon dioxide project i'm really interested about with that um, my carbon dioxide work is, is very exciting um, because it's also a collaboration with um, several companies and several universities. So the idea of this project is to um, basically construct a device in which you can do everything together. You do CO2 capture, then you do um, solar hydrogen production, and you also have catalytic conversion of CO2 plus hydrogen to uh, methanol or methane. All integrated, and we're working together with groups who specialize in the different parts. So we are the group specializing in catalysis. We work together with the group who specializes on CO2 capture, one in solar hydrogen, and also one who specializes on doing techno-economic analysis because we want to be able to do a viable um, process for this. So that's that's really exciting. Um, our other project, the one looking at CO2 to formic acid. It's basically benchmarking different types of um, methods to convert CO2 to formic acid. So there are people within the consortium who are doing um, photocatalysis, people doing plasma catalysis, people doing thermal catalysis, people doing uh, biocatalysis. And then we're trying to look at all these different processes and trying to come up with which one is the the most feasible one, the one that is more ready to go to market and having like a, a benchmark between them, which is also something 
quite interesting because sometimes when I think about the technology in the lab going into the market, some fields are more advanced than others, and then they don't you don't get a fair judgment on which one is more efficient. But by working together in this consortium with the different people and having someone who is specializing on this uh, techno-economical assessment, then we can have like a, a, a more um, fair comparison in between the technologies. That's so cool. Okay, I'm trying to wrap my head around this because because you had said, you started off by saying that there was a device. And, and I was like, the first question that pops in my mind is, are you working on making the device? And then you had mentioned like, oh, you're working on like the catalysis aspect of it, which is like, how? Personally, I work on the catalysis aspect of it um, because that's my, my expertise. Mm -hmm. But we work together with these people who are designing this device. Right, which is, which I think is also wild because like, the way that I understand catalysis is you have a flask of like some reagent and then you put your, catal your catalyst in and then the reaction goes forever until you quench it uh, or until, you know, all of your reagent is converted. Um, and so my brain is just like trying to translate how you would take that and, and make it into a device. I just, that's so cool. Well, do, do you... Do you know what a plug flow reactor is? Or do you know like a continuous process? You know, you, you know right. that you can cook, you, you have like your, your normally chemistry, we as chemists, we normally do batch processes, right? We put a flask, yeah. we put a liquid, put a steering bar, heat it for 20 hours, whatever, and then it's done. Mm -hmm. That's But there's people who actually have continuous processes in which instead of having, you just, you just have like a, a pump and then you're just, you know, adding your, regions and taking them out as they come. So you have um, a reactor and in one side you're feeding it and on the other side you're taking out the product. So um, that is something that is something that uh, we're thinking about. So we, we are dis designing a continuous process that basically has a reactor in which you have inside your catalyst and then in one side you feed your reactor with CO2 and hydrogen, and then the other side, you collect your products. And of course, before the reactor, then you have the whole process to um, capture the CO2 and to do the um, um, hydrogen and so on. And of course, after the catalyst, then you have your um, purification because you need to purify your products and so on. That's so cool. My, 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 I'm so mind blown, right? I. <laughs> I like try to like one I'm trying to be as awake as possible this early morning which I'm so 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 hyped to have you on the show um and like just the bang first thing in the morning is just mind blown with this amazing incredible science so thank you for that friend this is this is such a great chat I am so delighted um, however, it does seem like we are nearing the end of our time, but, but not, of course, before I ask the most anticipated question of this podcast. Are you ready, Cesar? Yes, please hit me. Okay. What is your favorite cake flavor and why? It has to be chocolate because chocolate cake is the best cake. <laughs> short and sweet yeah i 
I do love a good chocolate cake. I, you know what? So there was this chocolate cake that I once had and it wasn't, um, it wasn't frosting that it was adorned with. It was ganache and it was the most rich and decadent cake I'd ever had. I, I couldn't have more than perhaps a small piece because it was just so like, it was, I, I felt like I was not, it, I was just not allowed to have more than a small piece because it was just so, so decadent and so indulgent. And I just, uh, anyway, I, I do it. I do it. For me, it's always like, it's either chocolate cake or I have a cake that I make myself, which is a coconut caramel banana cake. And I love that cake so much. It's like my favorite non-chocolate cake. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's amazing because it's vegan, so I can make it for all my friends so everyone can eat it. Mm -hmm. um, but mm, it's either that or chocolate cake. Mm, it's, yeah. it's hard to That choose. sounds so good. I. Uh, but you're I, allergic to coconut. I cannot make it for you. I have to make it without, without <laughs> the part. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for remembering. Yeah, I am allergic to coconut, which is unfortunate. But I. This sounds incredible. And if you do come up with a recipe that doesn't have coconut, I would be so thrilled to fly to Belgium. I'll make it for cake. you. I'll make a banana carrot cake for cake. Oh, oh, that sounds incredible. Yes, I, I look forward to that day. And I can see it's so interesting. So folks, y'all know that I am cake. Okay. Um, cake is better at cooking than they are at baking and a lot of people find that so strange because it's like cake your namesake <laughs> you can't make your namesake and it's like surely i can bake i just prefer cooking so perhaps i'll uh, whip up a very good um lemon chicken piccata for you or something that's a cake that's <laughs> sorry yeah. i had to do it i had to do it Oh, man. Oh, sweet friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank oh, you for having I, me. I am so, I'm so delighted. This was such a pleasure. And, you know, for folks that might not have caught, caught it at the beginning of the episode, uh, Cesar is in Belgium and I am in California. And the time difference is just crazy. But I am so hyped that we were able to make this happen. Because uh, that was such a learnful discussion. It was so good. Um, thank you so much for being on the show, Finn. I'm, I'm so happy that you... Thank you, Kate, for having me. And I can't wait to to hear this season. <gasps> me too. Uh, it, it's it, weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. To the listeners at home, thank you for joining in our chat today. We certainly hope that you were able to learn something new. Um, if you would like to hop aboard the hype train and follow the mini adventures of Dr. Uh, Cesar Urbina Blanco, you can follow him on Twitter at Cesapo, which will be uh, linked in the description. And of course, if you need an extra dose of hype, you are always welcome to follow me uh, on Twitter at Chemistry Cake. Well, folks, that's all we've got for you today. Um, please be gentle with yourselves, stay hydrated, keep the hype alive, and edify our village. The members of the Cake Nation stand new growth, and we love to see you strive to thrive. Thanks for tuning in, Cake Nation. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.